So a couple of weeks ago, I taught a retreat with Bob Stahl over at a place called Hidden Villa in Los Altos. And if you don't know that place, I recommend it to all of you. It has a youth hostel, which was where we had the retreat, and it also has a, an active organic farm with cows and pigs and chickens and sheep and goats and lots of school children going through many days of the week, most days of the week. So it meant that there was quite a lot of life going on. The, the hostel was a little bit separate, so we were able to be quite quiet. But you could hear this sort of bubble around the edges. One of the pieces of bubble that I was particularly fond of, there was a chant, kind of a chant that they would teach the kids. It has some merit, and it goes like this. It goes, chomp, 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 wiggle, 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 poop, poop, poop. (laughs) And they would do it when they were around the compost bin. (laughs) And, you know, when we set retreats, sometimes... It gets, you know, it gets very quiet and the mind gets very still, exactly as it should. But it's also really, really separate from our everyday life. So the other thing that happened at this retreat was one day um, there were all these deer around and we realized that there was one buck and two does and then a couple of kids, and the buck had one thing in mind. (laughs) And you know what that was. And it's that time of year, actually, is what they're doing. And and I thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, we have chomping and pooping, and now we have sex. (laughs) And so it's it, it really brought some pieces of everyday life into this retreat. So I tell you all of this because I wanted to talk tonight Um, again, about relationship as practice. And this often comes up for me as something to talk about when I'm about to teach, again, a weekend on relationship as practice, which I do fairly regularly with my husband. So tomorrow we start with a group of four couples to spend the weekend really looking at how do we do our committed relationship as a serious part of our spiritual practice. And, you know, we come from a tradition um, which grew out of of a monastic lineage. And so on retreats, it feels kind of monastic, doesn't it? Those of you who have been on them, you take vows of celibacy and we're quiet and we sit and we walk and we don't eat so much and we eat in a simpler way. And There's a lot of renunciation, which is entirely as it should be. And often what I hear is, well, I don't quite know how to integrate this into my everyday life. You know, what, what about everyday life as practice? What about relationship as practice? What about those vows that I took? Some of you have taken vows as a part of a marriage ceremony. And I've actually come to think of the marriage vows as being just as serious and spiritual a set of vows as the monastic vows. They involve just as much renunciation. I'm sure most of you who've 
been in committed relationships know that. And, um, and I think it's possible to live within them in a very, very serious way that really honors um, your own spiritual growth and that of your partners and that of yourself. So when we take on a practice, partly what we're doing is we're trying to wake up. And all of you are here because one way or another you decided you were interested to wake up. And complete awakening in the Buddhist definition, one way to define it, is the complete end of greed and hatred and delusion. So that's a pretty remarkable state if you think about it. Imagine not having any greed at all whatsoever, no you know, craving, no addiction, no having to have, no possessiveness, that's a good one in relationship, you know, no um, delusion at all, and no aversion at all. Um, and so you could imagine that a relationship would be a really good place to work on this, because usually there's a lot of wanting of this or that, things to be different, more of this, less of that, Often there's a fair amount of aversion. I wish she wouldn't do this. I wish he wouldn't do that. I hate it when, those kinds of things. And sometimes there's delusion. And especially as we start relationships, often we're not seeing so clearly, like, like the buck who was chasing the doe. You know, They don't see so clearly. And we don't see so clearly either when we start relationships. Hmm... So we know that um, mindfulness isn't enough. You know, mindfulness, just doing mindful practice on the cushion isn't enough. If that's all that your spiritual life is, you, you're probably seeing that that isn't really going to do it for you. And... Um, And we know that um, the practice of loving-kindness just done as a meditation practice isn't enough. And one of the images that I um, like to think of in terms of, re- of practice in everyday life and in particular in relationship is that of gardening. And so any good gardener, and I know there's a number of them in this room, can tell you that... that um, it takes a lot, the intention, the, the thinking about it, the, the going through the catalogs, the vision of the beautiful garden, all of that won't do it. But what does it is the digging and the weeding and the fertilizing and the watering and, and all of the work that, that um, it takes to make the garden grow. And so a relationship... Um, exists in much the same way and it needs that kind of attention it, it needs it's, a, it's, a, it's like a living organism that exists between two people and, and it needs care and nourishment and when it becomes a committed relationship then it particularly needs that so often um, 
what happens in relationship is the going gets a little bumpy and then we sort of tune it out you know we, we numb out to what's going on and there there isn't there isn't enough presence there and there isn't enough mindfulness and often um, that's the place where where we really do want things to be different from the way that they are or we're very aversive to the way that they are or we're not seeing the other clearly we're seeing our own story about that person not what's really happening and so we're seeing our projection so it's just it's very very clear this is a great place to wake up and there's lots of techniques and I know a few and probably some of you know some that I don't know um, Russell and I when we teach we teach a practice of counsel which is a practice of mindful speech and I know a number of people in this room know that and um, nonviolent, nonviolent communication is a practice which a number of you work with which is really helpful and there are lots of practices of wise speech and wise listening which are are useful and really began to teach us about how to be present with the other person so in counsel you know there's the intention to listen listen devoutly is the term that that is used which I quite like and and to speak with in a way that's spontaneous and also though in a way which is honest and kind um, and it really demands presence and nonviolent communication has some more formal structures for speech but but the intention is the same the same of speaking in a way that is peaceful and kind and transformative so working with listening and with speech is a very very important part of relationship as practice and and, but there are other things that we can look at. How is, it that, how is it that you practice presence with your partner? How do you do that? And do you do it intentionally? You know, that place where maybe you um, fold up your computer and put it away. You know, it's, it's, I've noticed, have you noticed how different it is if the computer screen is there, you know, kind of over there? It kind of calls you, right? There's that way that you lean in, or if the TV is going in the other room, or whatever it is that that pulls us away, and that place of just kind of shutting things down, and so that we can be um, present, or setting aside our busyness in order to connect with each other. I'm astounded, actually, um, as I talk to various people to. My daughters, who are quite, you know, quite a bit younger than I am, as they are struggling with their relationships, and, and many, many people, at how hard it is just to create a period of time every day when what you're doing is sitting down in relative quiet with each other. It's just about as hard as creating 20 minutes or 15 minutes or half an hour to sit on your cushion, isn't it? And of course, if you're sitting on your cushion and you have a partner, you've got a double whammy of a practice because then it's, you know, then it's more time. And it is more time. I think that's one of the things that, that makes it hard. And yet, 
that's one of the pieces that's hugely important just sitting there kind of saying hi hi how is it in there today what's happening you know and it's not just that I did this and he said that and we went here and I ate that but it's really how is it in there what's happening right in there today you know and it might not take very long, but it's enormously important. And it's a practice. That's the piece that I really want you to begin to see. That this is something that you can honor in the same way that you honor sitting on your cushion. And if you're in a relationship that's a sexual relationship, honoring that as part of the practice. You you thought sex was just fun. But sex is also part of your spiritual practice if you're in a committed relationship. And finding ways, however you make that work, whether you're old or young or homosexual or lesbian or heterosexual or whatever it is that you are, finding ways to come together in an erotic way that also really nourishes the relationship. It's interesting, I often find that when I'm a little disconnected and grumpy in my relationship and I get kind of bitchy and witchy and mean, you know, it's when that erotic element hasn't had quite enough attention. And when that erotic element has had enough attention, there's a lot more juice in the relationship and ease and it really supports the connectedness of the two people involved so this your relationship is really part of the foundation of your life and when it doesn't get attention then that foundation actually is weakened so then there's also all of the practices of the heart and the practice of loving kindness and and really using this to support the relationship we we talk a lot we use um, one of the suttas in the um, board for Vipassana Santa Cruz the sutta where the, the Buddha is teaching the monks about acts of loving kindness and he says that um, a monk maintains bodily acts of loving kindness. So partners maintain bodily acts of loving kindness uh, in public and in private, verbal acts of loving kindness. So these are instructions for monks, but they're also instructions for people who are connected to other people. Verbal acts of loving kindness and mental acts. And so those of us on the board have taken this over a number of years now as part of our practice for what we do at meetings, you know, that we try to be with each other as a working board at doing these acts of loving kindness. So it isn't just intimate relationship where you can practice. It's all relationship. And that's really important because not all of you are in intimate relationships, but every one of you is in relationship. And so every one of you can use the kind of relationship that you have as part of your practice. So a relationship is really a good place to practice 
goodwill for ourselves and goodwill, kindness for the other. And, you know, in, in the traditional um, way of doing loving kindness practice, you do it for yourself and then you do it for a benefactor and then you do it for someone you love and then you do it for someone who's difficult. And, you know, I find that Russell goes back and forth. You know, sometimes he's the one I love and sometimes he's the difficult one. Isn't that interesting? You know, you can use the same person in different parts of the practice. So it's also a place where we can do the practice of compassion. Because, again, if you're at all connected to someone else, often what you're aware of is, oh, this person is in pain. And, and the practice of compassion is a practice in which we, as best we can, try to be fully present with our own pain and with the pain of another. So the word karuna, which is the word for compassion in Pali, actually means the quivering of the heart. So it's that place where you're willing to be open enough to the other that your heart quivers with their pain. And you know, that's not easy. So often, when someone else is hurting, you know, it's a little easy to kind of want to go the other way. Think of something else, do something else, tune them out. Even when it's somebody who, that you're living with and sharing your life with. And so this, that, this practice in relationship really is encouraging us to sit down and to let the heart be open, to let it quiver. And you know, sometimes, one of the things I love about the practice of counsel is you use a talking piece, right? And whoever has the talking piece has the floor. And you can't interrupt. So if Russell has the piece, I can't interrupt him. And one of the things that's been very interesting to see is that there's often a place where everything in me is kind of leaning forward, wanting to say something, wanting to jump in, wanting to say, but... Or, no, no, you have it all wrong, or whatever it is that I would say. But I can't, because he's got the talking piece, and he's still going. And you know what? Often, when that happens, and I'm kind of irritated, and I want to you know, get my two cents worth in, when I listen just a little further, I often hear the place where he's in pain. Isn't that interesting? And I think we usually, I don't think I'm the only person who does this. So we usually kind of jump in before the other person gets to their pain. And when I actually stay there, which isn't every time, but when I do, and he gets to the place where he's really hurting, and I stay with him, it's different. And some often some compassion arises. And then there's a shift in what's going on between the two of us. I can't stay angry then. It's quite interesting to see that. And there's the practice of sympathetic joy that we can do in relationship where we really enjoy another's another's happiness. And, you know, you've all heard endless stories about me and Russell and Burning Man, so I won't bore you with any more, but that's really been that practice. 
is how can I, here he is, going off one more time with his magenta hair and his sarongs and, you know, one thing and another. And how can I just go, oh, I'm so happy that you're happy. And I am happy that he's happy. And when I can enjoy his happiness, the whole thing gets much, much easier. And that's true for all of us. When you can enjoy the happiness of someone that you're working with or sharing your life with, then um, that really eases. And it very much cuts into that place of judgment. It's such an important thing to see. But sympathetic joy, enjoying another person's happiness, cuts right at the roots of judgment, at the roots of that place where you have opinions about how they ought to be in their life and how they ought to be happy instead of how they are happy. So it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful practice. The last of the practices of the heart that are useful in relationship and, and in life is the practice of equanimity. And so that's the practice of balance, you know, of, of, of I sometimes think of it as of surfing, you know, being able to stay upright no matter what kind of wave comes towards you. And um, it's considered to be the fruit of mindfulness practice. So when you sit here on your cushion and different things come and go, you're actually learning equanimity. And it's also a path, and it's actually needed for all of the other practices of the heart. There's a place where you can't go with kindness or with compassion or with sympathetic joy if you don't have equanimity because you'll lose your balance. You'll get caught in the pain, you'll get caught in the judgment, and you won't be able to do the practice. So it's, it's, it's very, very useful in all of these practices of the heart. And I think it's equanimity which really allows us to keep the heart open. And keeping the heart open is what is needed when it's time for forgiveness. So when you're in the practice of relationship, forgiveness is huge. And there's a quote from Henri Nouwen, who is a Christian writer, that I've used a lot and that I love. And so this is what he says about forgiveness. He says, Forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. Isn't that great? It's the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. And the hard truth is that all of us love poorly. We need to forgive and to be forgiven every day, every hour, unceasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. So, you know, it's so easy to begin to think that practice is just sitting on the cushion. And I don't want to downplay sitting on the cushion or going to retreats. They're hugely important as practices. 
But there are many, many other ways to practice in our everyday lives. And those of us who are householders, who have jobs, who you know, pay bills and have dogs and cats and lovers and children and parents, it's very helpful to begin to see, oh, look, I can work with so many different things. I can take a walk every day on the beach as part of my spiritual practice would be a great piece to your spiritual practice. I can hold my lover in my arms for 10 minutes every day, imagine, as part of your spiritual practice. And it would be a great, it is, I can attest to this one, it is a great spiritual practice. And it's one that will help both of you enormously. I can listen to music every day as part of my spiritual practice. Each one of you could come up with several of these. And you know, so some of you are probably sitting there, well, that's all very well. You know, she's talking about relationship or practice, but my partner won't even think about spiritual things and doesn't want to talk about it. And how can I do my relationship as a practice if he or she won't do it as a spiritual practice? One of the things I've long loved about the different theories of family therapy is the whole notion of systems and the notion that if you change one thing, you change the whole system. So if your piece of the machinery of your relationship changes, you know, if you had a cog that had little pointy things and now you've changed it to a cog that's smooth everything has to change isn't that interesting so if you begin to work with your relationship as practice whatever relationship you choose whether it's your partner or your boss or your children or your friend it doesn't matter that will affect the relationship it has to and the other person will change their dance a little bit because you've changed. So you can do it even if it's not, it's more fun, I think, when both people are doing the dance. But you can do the dance by yourself and it will be effective. And that's really important to understand. So, you know, you could look back through your day, whatever your day was today, and think about life at work or with your friends or with your partner or your children and just think, well, how, how did I do? You know, how were the practices of the heart? How was I with kindness and goodwill and compassion and sympathetic joy? How was my equanimity? You know? Did I, did I take some time just to meet this person in a way that was open and curious and interested and present or not? And just noticing, you know. And if the if you think, oh God, it was a bad day, that my relationship was really a disaster, you know, then maybe it's time to come back to the cushion. That is a good place for the cushion, actually. And to sit and go back into quiet and kind of regroup and calm the mind and then be able to sort out, okay, what's skillful to do next. Whoever you're in relationship with is your teacher. This person 
is your teacher in a very, very deep way in your spiritual life. And so being with them will show you all of the places where you need to wake up over and over and over again. It's a little discouraging sometimes, but it's also, you know, once in a while you can kind of go, oh, look, it's a little bit better. I'm doing, I didn't get quite so triggered. I wasn't quite so reactive, you know. I really did enjoy his magenta hair. It's really cute, you know. And then you know that, oh, look, it's, it's better. I'm making some progress. Each one of us is training, training, practicing to wake up. Each one of us is training to have the mind of a Buddha. So each one of us is training to be in each moment, just as it is, without any hatred or aversion, without <coughs> any delusion. You know, Each one of us is training to have an enormous heart, you know, the heart of a Buddha. And so your relationship really can be a place where you can do that. So I think that's enough from me. And let's see if there's any questions or comments or wonderings about your relationship or whatever. Yeah, please. I'd really like to get to the bottom of this burning man thing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.